Hello, everyone. You're listening to Solving for X Season 2, a podcast exploring the workforce challenges shaping the federal government and the people we serve. We're uncovering new ideas from a rapidly transforming labor market, evolving technologies, new worker demographics, and a shifting global economy. We're bringing you fascinating stories, interviews with experts, and access to top thought leaders. We're shedding light on how the changing landscape of our employee experience is impacting the future of work and your daily life. Welcome. Are you ready to solve for X? Welcome, everyone. We are thrilled to have Erica Ford on the show today. So she's an executive at EY and also a lifelong learner and advocate of putting people first. So in her work as a partner at EY, she's leading the People Advisory Services for government and private sector practice. And she is a wise soul with energy and flair and fun. And we're so excited to have her on today. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's really exciting. Yeah. Well, so season two, for folks that are listening and have been following Solving for X, season one was a lot of leaders looking at the problem from different angles. And even at times, you know, I say admiring the problem, but season two, we're diving into solutions. And before any good solution session, we have to do an icebreaker. So Erica, we're going to ask you our first question, which is more fun, but what was your first job? So my first job was at a a bagel bakery that was in Alexandria, Virginia. And I actually snuck and got the job. My parents were very much did not want me to have a job while I was in high school. And so um, I did uh, get that job and told them later. And I was so excited about uh, having the job that I actually wore the uniform to school. Oh, my goodness. You know, it just got, it's so funny. I can't believe I was that person, but I did because I was so excited about it. So yes, the bagel bakery. Well, thank you for sharing that. And man, pizza bagel sounds good, but to dive into the real, the real meaty stuff today, Mark is our co-host today. So Mark, super excited to have you on as well. You had a really amazing question you wanted to open this up with for Erica. Yeah, Erica, I love the title for you and working in the pub- public sector. It's a it's a huge uh, opportunity. And I'm really curious, because it's an outstanding firm, what are you most excited about that you guys are working on now where you're really moving the needle for your clients in some critical ways? We are focused on broadening the understanding about what investment in civil servants looks like often, and rightfully so, uh, that it's it's focused on skills development. So that means learning, um, you know, traditional training, that kind of thing. Typically, those items around training, et cetera, typically happen in response to something. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily always proactive in terms of what they anticipate for the organization over the long term. And so what we're really working with our clients on right now is moving that up doing earlier investments in their civil servant workforce. But what we're really talking about, okay, investment for your civil servant might be taking a look at your operating model. So if you have an operating model where you are um, interacting, your mission requires you to interact with constituents often. Pause for one moment, Erica, because I just really want to highlight what you just shared that is the essence of what we're solving for on this show, truly. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of 
constituent or customer experience, customer needs from the public standpoint? And what is that relationship between that investment in the civil certain servant? So what I'm hearing you say is that you're advising that there's a proactive investment versus a reactive of like, oops, we haven't offered learning and development opportunities to our workforce for 20 years, but we better do something now because we are in a crisis. How do you help those clients? How do you help those agencies get to the point where the allocation coming from above gives them what they need uh, to, to work with you in a way that's going to solve those things? We wanted to look at it from the, diman- the dimensions of the individual, the department, and the organization, and mm. to be able to measure it. So that equal sign at the end, what does mm-hmm. it produce? So what we did is we said, hey, let's look at the different career levels within the organization. Let's not worry about their function. What are the things that, what do you want? How do you want them to show up? So, so let's assume the five-year strategy has been implemented. As an individual, who were the leaders that drove the implementation, the successful implementation of that strategy? So we outlined at the director level, what were some of the behaviors? How did All they the behaviors. Exactly. Yes. How did they <laughs> collaborate? Um, what were the, how did they share information? And we had these, these different categories. Granular, was, right? Exactly. Exactly. I think that's something I'm wondering all the folks listening today where light bulbs are going off because getting to that granular level of behavior. 100%. What's an example of, a like you said, collaboration. Again, we're not talking about any specific agency, but what is a behavior that you could point to and say, hey, this is the forward strategy behavior. And then how do you measure that? Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting point. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer that, but in order <laughs> to answer that, I'm going to get to the end of the equation, right? I'm going to fly through this because it'll get to the heart of what you're saying. So let's take, so one plus one equals two. So in this instance, the behavioral patterns and the categories is the one. Plus, we, that the organization said, well, no one individual can do this on their own. We don't want people walking around thinking about just themselves. And you can't do it at behavior alone because we're such a measured organization. So then what we created was these departmental guides. That's the other one, one plus one. So that mm-hmm. second one was these departmental guides because it says, as individuals and in our various responsibilities for this strategy, how do we show up as a department? What are our goals as a department together? So your individual behaviors, your individual accountability for your job and what is expected of you, you add that to your departmental view of Mm. what you have to work together on as a team to get to that strategy in five years. And then it's like, what is it equal? So back to your your piece, Nina, what we created was this dashboard. And it was an executive dashboard that had multiple views because then what we did is we said, okay, what does this mean in terms of the metrics you have to hit, the measurable pieces you have to hit and and track in order to five years from now have had successfully impacted that strategy? So what we did is we then worked with each of the departments and we transformed how they, what their KPIs were 
and the kind of metrics that as an organization, as that department we're responsible for. So I, as the individual working with my department am responsible for these milestone metrics that will equal getting to that strategy, that, that successful implementation of that five-year strategy. So then once we did that, it was an, it was really fun because this client, they are my favorite. I won't say who they are, but they are my favorite, favorite. But when we got to that point, it was it made it so that the leader of the organization and all of the department heads had this dashboard that told a story mm. of how they were getting to implementing that five-year strategy. So it created this opportunity where they could, they knew that those metrics were grounded in the department's productivity, the production department's mission. And they knew that it was started with individual behavior where accountability for your job responsibilities were table stakes. That is brilliant. Mark, thoughts on that? I mean, I wish I could see a visual. I mean, I'm seeing it as Erica's describing it, but it is brilliant. I think this is a lot the holy grail in some ways of a lot of agencies are moving towards people-centered operations and people-centered transformation. And I think you just explained a formula that works. Mark, yeah, your thoughts? That's what I was going to say. We've been talking about solving for X and, and how do you define that X variable? And you've given us a formula that does just that. So I think that's Please, pretty insightful. <laughs> Our <laughs> podcast is done. No, I'm Rosetta Stone. <laughs> We've That's amazing. I'm actually pretty excited about that. Erica just solved for X. She did. <laughs> I don't think so, but maybe I contributed <laughs> some thinking on solving for X. I got to yes. be part of that, that journey to solving for X. Erica, you mentioned something. It was a kind of a sidebar comment, but it's something that I think it's, it's pretty exciting to hear about. You mentioned AI. Yes. And one of the comments, and I know it's coming. Uh, I know there's a lot of uncertainty around it. So uh, and I assume that there's a lot of gaps uh, in these organizations uh, that you mentioned, are they ready? Can they handle uh, certain things, if, even if it's in their strategy? So what advice would you have or, or how are you approaching it with clients to get them ready for something like that that could be coming faster than, than some things? Or maybe it's going to take a little while longer. Kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Removing the either or thinking. It's not AI or humans, it's both. So you really have to put humans at the center, which is a really important thing. You know, I know as listeners, this probably will resonate for you um, because AI is so, um, it's so specifically broad, right? Yeah. <laughs> you think about AI. Right. Um, and there's a lot of fear um, in it. There was a poll that EY did um, where 77% of the people who responded, they expressed their apprehension that AI was going to bring about job losses in the imminent future too. So that's a lot of fear to carry around. So going back to what we do at EY, where we put humans at the center, like what kind of new skill sets will your workforce need to stay ahead of the AI curve? How do you help them build those skills, right? You know, when you think about your organizational structure, your roles, your workforce composition, how is that going to change once you, what's your vision for how that will change once you're allowed to, allowed to do more automation? 
And for a lot of our organizations, what they're finding is, oh, I have capacity. And I know this is going to resonate with some mm-hmm. people that are listening. Because yes. there's all everybody has a part to the job they can't get to, right? I know I do. So there's every organization has a capacity where there's something they're not doing. So if you're thinking about how you're going to bring in AI, how can you strategically plan for what that's going to allow you to do? Yeah. Right? The strategic planning piece and not necessarily like the waterfall planning where leaders are in a room by themselves, not communicating with employees, right? The idea Mm -hmm. of gathering input from the experts who do the work, which are the employees, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the way you frame that too, because you keep using the word mission, which I appreciate. The organizations are focused on their mission and and to have the capacity to execute on that mission Mm -hmm. at a much higher level is a very positive way of framing that. So I appreciate that very much. So you have to honor the complexity while keeping at a good pace that allows you to move forward, right? So instead of being frozen by it. One thing that is another dimension to this is that, okay, you might have to rethink your rewards and compensation piece elements because how do you incentivize the uniquely human contributions of your civil servant when AI is now part of your enterprise? So that capacity piece that we were talking about that you've never been able to get to for years, how do you work the transition to get people to focus on that? And then in doing so, that some of the answers to that questions is rethinking how you incentivize, mm. which is another element that we're talking to our clients about and helping them with, with some of the work we do. That's exciting. Erica, you mentioned earlier thinking about what kind of skills, and I'm I'm channeling my inner Monica right now, and Monica is our executive producer of the show and head of this working group. What are some of the skills that you want to highlight as we think forward into the future of more automation and more digital transformation? What are the skills that employees are going to learn or are learning learning currently? You know, it's, it's not resistance to answering that question, but I'll explain why I'm going to make it a little bit bigger um, because it's mission specific. Mm, Right. Fair. Yeah. So for, for example, um, you know, before we started recording, I was telling you about that transit organization that we work with, and they are transforming um, as part of a centralization and modernization effort into a product-oriented organization, which means your connections with customers are always live. And you're also rethinking how does it, what makes sense from a culture perspective? And what are the new um, table stakes in terms of things that people need to know from a cyber perspective, right? Or from a sustainability perspective for their jobs. And so when you shift to that model and it changes your processes, there may be new things that you have to account for in terms of the how-tos and getting things done that the organization has to stop and think, okay, we need this profile of an employee Mm -hmm. in terms of the kind of skills. And there's something we call the civil service 
uh, civil service ambition design process where we'll say, okay, you know you want to do an IT modernization, for example. Let's look ahead five years and say it's fully successful. It's just like that example that I shared from that client that I love, right? Mm -hmm. Where we'll say, okay, assume you have the perfect strategy. Five years from now, what's the workforce look like? If I walk into your organization five years from now, what am I going to see and feel? What are people going to talk to me about when there are problems to solve? That kind of thing. And so some may say, I want a certain level of cyber competence across every employee, regardless of their function. That's interesting. Right? Or I want to help them, uh, everyone understands risk management in a way where we have shifted the fear out of risk management. So when going back to your question around that, Nina, depending on your mission, it might mean one of the skill sets that we really need is to broaden the baseline of understanding around enterprise risk management, individual responsibility, regardless of rank, But then also maybe we have sharper cultural things that we want to shift so that risk management and always being on green when you're given an update is actually what we don't want to see. We want to see reds and yellows because that tells us you are leaning into the risk. You're leaning into the mitigation strategies. You're being transparent. You're not hiding anything. And you have a safe space where you feel like I'm seen as an employee and I'm not going to get in trouble if I keep talking about this highly risky bubble issue, right? So that may be the profile that you say five years after we've implemented our strategy and we're good to go and we're getting the results, that's going to be the common profile among your employees, your civil servants that I will see walking around your organization five years from now. And it's so smart. I mean, it's reverse engineering from your future state where you want to be. And then it's like this design engineering process being applied to human capital management and planning, which is just brilliant. I see Mark's also nodding his head. It's yeah. In the middle of all that, Erica, um, we have a technological sea change coming that people are preparing for and getting strategies for. But we also have, I think, a dynamic we have to acknowledge is a is an aging workforce at one end that's about to retire. Yeah. And we're going to have a, a tremendous amount of exits. And then you mentioned what is a workforce going to look like in five years, being that human focused person that you are with that influx of a next generation, how will that, what are you hearing about that? What will it look like in five years? And at least what story have you heard that you think is the most plausible? What I've heard a lot is around, um, ability to respond to catalyst events and to do so um, to move quickly. One thing that we see um, right now is the the increased need for collaboration across different agencies and departments. We're seeing that across federal, state, local, right? And so for that particular piece, if you're thinking about skill sets moving forward, how do you create a shift in culture within organizations where that collaboration 
is 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 welcomed, sought after, and you've got a workforce that has the skills to do it. We have this aging workforce. We are not seeing people actually do true succession planning. I wish everybody could see Erica's smile because when she's answering, she has a big smile. It's very reassuring that this is all possible. It is. Everything's going to be okay as long as we keep people at the center of our strategy, which I think is my big takeaway. And I I really want to dig into that. I appreciate that, Mark. This is all possible. The reason why some things become things that don't happen is because of these limitations that goes back to op model that goes back to um, being just, oh man, that's gonna take me two years to fix. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's gonna take you two years if you don't start. You gotta start the clock at some point. So everything is possible. It's just, how do you collaborate? Sometimes possibilities are narrowed because you don't collaborate with the agency or the department you need to in order to do something right within your own organization. It's all possible. It's just breaking these cultural habits because I would put my bet on civil servants in any, any, any scenario But these are the things, the partnerships with the commercial industry, getting that exposure and all of that, it's it's just breaking, it's broadening the thinking about early investment in your civil servants. So it all comes back. It's all possible, but we've got to make some strategic pivots together. I think that's something federal leaders can learn from state municipal and what I've seen over the years. And I think this is echoed in the stories that you're sharing today, Erica, the states and cities that are collaborative are the ones that are the most innovative and that's where people want to live. That's where people want to work. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Thank you for highlighting the collaboration piece. That is such a thread throughout all of our conversations with all the leaders and executives we've had on this show. Erica, what a treat to have you on today. I mean, you're amazing and this is brilliant. And we want to close with a fun question. Mark's going to tee up. Yeah, you've been very inspiring to us, and thank you for that. Uh, we're curious, what are you watching, listening to, or or is influencing you? Where are you finding your inspiration that you could share that others could go to? Oh, man, the answer that I'm thinking of that comes right to mind, it, it's not, it, I wish I could point people to a particular, uh, a particular thing. Let me just think for a second. Oh, okay. This one, I got something. It's a mantra that I've been thinking about lately. So I always tell people, um, just for the listeners, uh, I I teach yoga. I've taught yoga. I've been a yoga teacher for like 11 or 12 years. And I did it at first as stress relief uh, when I was at another consulting firm. And I was like, gosh, my whole life can't be can't be this, right? I got to have something else going on. So then I went and got a certification uh, to break up the energy. So anyway, um, so, you know, you can't be trained as a yoga teacher if you don't respect where it came from. So I I read a lot about Buddhism and read a lot around um, the eight limbs of yoga and all of that stuff. And so I'm always interested in, um, in, uh, and things around Buddhism. And so I listened to this podcast called 10% Happier. 
um, which is a really, really awesome story about the host. Um, but I won't share his story. You can Google that. His name is Dan Harris, um, 10% higher, uh, happier. But um, I was listening to a podcast where he had a Buddhist nun on it. And they, she had this thing, the title of it was six mantras to get along with everybody. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Right. So that's the one I listened to that day as I'm walking or doing whatever it was. And one of the ones that she said to me is that she said that is the only one of the six I remember is um, she said, you're partly right. And when I heard that, I was like, you know, to me, it triggers like, oh, that's somebody being defensive or like pushing back. And she explained the thinking around it. And then, you know, I add my own thinking to it and my own thinking to it that I hope is helpful, um, you know, for you guys and some of the listeners is that you're partly right. So I thought about it. I was like, you know, we live in a time where, um, uh, especially with, you know, in, in my job and all that, where you get feedback back all the time, perspective all the time, not only about yourself, but the, you know, just like that, you know, when you're going, going after a particular opportunity, there's just a lot of opinions going around everywhere. And then you have your annual reviews and all these different things. And it made me think about that when, you know, someone is sharing um, constructive feedback, that brings you closer, actually. They're giving you constructive feedback. And you can say, you're partly right. And it's not because it's pushing back on what they're saying, but it leaves space for you to hear what they're saying and give yourself room to think about it yourself. So you embrace the lesson, but you're thinking about, well, what else am I learning from here? What are other parts of this and other dimensions that also can, you know, I need to think about as I address this feedback. But then on the opposite side, you know, there's this thing of you're great. You're amazing. You did a great job at this thing. You were awesome. And I thought kind of reflecting on what she said, I said, you're partly right. And it's not because it is you being hard on yourself or not allowing yourself to acknowledge what is being said. It's more about tapping into your own perspective about that compliment and allowing you to say, that was really great. It's inspired me to think about X or that was really great. The one thing that I would that I there's an opportunity for next time is X, Y, Z. Right. And that I think also because, you know, we're always everybody's being told different things. And I always think about ego. Right. I always think about like, how do you staying ahead of like slipping in to where you're driven by um, all everybody has an ego, but the negative things that come with, the, you know, be having a big ego. And I thought, what a great tool for any scenario, which is that you're partly right. So that's one thing I'll, I'll share with a group that's been really inspiring. I love it. Thank you, Erica. I, I think you're completely right, but I'm not sure how you would take that. I know. I was just saying, I think you completely solved for X and folks listening. I hope you rewind, go reverse or whatever it is you need to do to go back and listen to Erica's equation earlier, because that is it. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation yes. i think thank you erica we're building a movement and you're a really important part of it so thank you erica
Anytime, anytime. You all are lovely. Thank you for even considering me for this. I'm so happy to be here. That's going to do it for today's episode of Solving for X. What's your big takeaway from today's episode? What new learning can you share with your teams? Before you leave, please follow Solving for X wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, listener reviews have a real impact. Consider leaving feedback so others can find our show. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time on Solving for X. Oh, my God.